Now, many seniors, of course, want to live in a more home-like environment, and assisted living is an option that can help to provide that. But a report released today by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, BC Office, indicates that many seniors and frontline workers are dealing with a poorly coordinated sector that increasingly resembles under-resourced and more lightly regulated long-term care centres. To talk more about this type of home environment and the concerns that may come with it, I'm joined by the president of the BC Licensed Practical Nurses Association, Anita Dixon. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm really excited to be part of this. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to start by asking, you know, there's a number of ways we could start this conversation, but I'll start by asking about staffing levels at these assisted living centres. In your experience, are these types of homes outfitted with enough workers to be able to properly care for those living in these centres, right? I mean, they're supposed to be sort of a more independent living quarters for those who are, you know, uh, residing in these homes, but sometimes maybe they need a little bit more care than maybe first thought. Exactly, and so the staffing level is very minimal. So the concept, the way that originated, was that it was to be more on the independent. As the person was aging in place, they might need very, you know, minimal, uh, maybe assistance to put in, you know, eye drops in their eyes because of the, you know, arthritic um, limbs, or they may need just to help, you know, punch out their meds. And, and that was it. So it was just be like five minutes here, maybe just to, you know, a quick standby and then the housekeeping and the two meals a day. But as people have progressed and they love the concept of assisted living and that's been, you know, further promoted since it started in 2002 was to, to live it and age in place. And that is a wonderful concept and that's one that we all want to support. That's, you know, very good for a lot of seniors. It helps them with their wellness. The issue has been, though, as they start to continue aging place and want to stay in their home-like environment, is they're needing some more supports as they start to, to decline in mobility, decline in being able to um, even their different dietary needs as you know as they start to age. That's it, or their disease processes, whatever they had in the comorbidities. The the increasing of needs has definitely been. Uh, prevalent, but the staffing has not been able to be addressed. And so what the, it's just basically growing more where the staff are running. I've literally watched one single carriage running, trying to assist so many of the, the seniors is that they've now gotten to really care for. And then the LPNs, you know, as they're supervising and they, they're missing their breaks, they're not being able to meet their needs and it's ethically pulling on them just as same stories as what we hear in the long-term care sector. Mm-hmm. So when, when people first come into assisted living homes, I assume that there's an assessment of some kind that's done to make sure that that's an appropriate fit for them. But does they ever get reevaluated to see if, you know, maybe you should be moved out of long-term care? Is there ever any type of, you know, reevaluation of people's needs to say, okay, you've had, you know, good care so far in assisted living, but maybe it's time to move on to another environment does that ever happen or is it just up to the care aides to say now this person needs more care and i have to start providing it yeah that's a great question and so the the requirements of assisted living is to have an assessment done and the assumption is that it's to be done by a nurse so the nurse you know could be but the structure in assisted living is is that it's could be the general manager, then not all of the staff members. So you might have one general manager that might be a nurse or may not be a nurse. And so that's a challenge. Or you might have the resident service manager or the what they call health and wellness manager might be the licensed practical nurse 
And they may not have done that first greeting, that first screening, because a lot of the uh, private companies uh, just want to be able to fill their rooms. So it's basically saying you take your own risk, and that comes back to the language that, that what this report highlights is that living at risk, and then you sign a waiver saying you understand that when you enter, and if you cannot direct your own care, um, being able to you know safely live in this environment for yourself as well as your, your neighbors and, and the other residents, then you will be having an exit plan given to you and you will have to leave. It will be up to you to deal with that. So people accept that quite you know quickly because they're trying to find a place for their loved ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a, an awkward and that's one of the things that need to be re-looked at is how do they come in? What is the exit plan? And then do they have a good way to be able to move to the next step? So, and there's a lot of gaps at that point. There's a lot of gaps. Yeah, it sounds like there's uh, not enough maybe... um uh, pressure, I guess, put on people. Maybe if, if uh, uh, an assisted living home is no longer the right spot for you to be, that maybe there needs to be more uh, pressure put on uh, those people who are making those decisions to move out of that kind of environment. If that's no longer fit for you, um, it's not fair, I guess, really, to, to put those extra needs and those extra care requirements onto those employees who are working in these facilities. But that's basically what seems to happen. You're exactly right. And then the employees you might have, you know, I've seen staffing levels where there's one carried on for a whole building during the day. And the expectation is to be, you know, servicing all of these people, helping them literally sometimes just walking down the dining room because they can't find their way down to the dining room. But, you know, that's their enjoyment. And it's, and then they're running to, to be able to do that. Or you might have two carried if you are lucky in these environments, but then in between, they're supposed to be helping doing laundry, they're supposed to be doing housekeeping. Um, it's just even some of their duties is, is quite blended in trying to maximize the minimal amount of staff that you have. So that's where it becomes problematic because then you're the, the actual person, the employee, is stressed because they're saying, I'm supposed to have this load of laundry done, but Mrs. Jones just called on her lifeline and I need to be able to go and help her because she's now struggling to get dressed. And so there's that, that whole pull. Yeah. So I think that that is absolutely, and then if they're needing more help, but they're still waiting to be placed, as you've you know, really well uh, indicated, is that there might be a length of time of months. I've seen months where then the you know, long term, there's no beds, they're on the waiting list, but now, now they're needing a lot more help and you don't have workload. That's, that's not heard of very you know, easily. So um, it's, it's a difficult, it's, it needs to be reviewed. Um, and of course, when we talk about any of these types of environments, whether it's long-term care, assisted living, how, how big of an issue is it um, you know, that these are often times run by the private sector and sometimes you know, profits seem to be more important than the actual care being provided? Because I know that that's all, always a problem when it comes to health care. Um, is, is that a significant issue probably in, in, in this type of environment as well when it comes to assisted living? The, the need for dollars and the need for profits kind of outweighs the importance of actually caring for individuals? Yes, I, I, it's unfortunate to acknowledge that, and it has been coming out, you know, through all of the, the you know, current reports for the long-term care, but it is absolutely the same uh, issues that are in the assisted living. So it, the unfortunate part is when you have a privately owned and operated, it is their uh, stakeholders, it's their investors who they have to be, they're the top priority to satisfy. 
So when you do that, of course, the, 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 down, the down spin on that is that the minimizing of the employees to try to deliver as many services as you can with as tight of a staffing model as you can. So the, the challenge is then you're, you're, who's prioritized, you know, and unfortunately with privates, the prioritization is to make sure that there's a profit. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, of course, when we go through this pandemic here, of a lot of issues and concerns have, have really come to the forefront and been highlighted as a result of this pandemic. I was wondering, because I'm trying to think specifically off the top of my head of sort of what might be some of the things that would be more noticeable as we go through COVID-19. I was just wondering if maybe you have anything that you could highlight or, or think of where COVID-19 has made it worse and has really brought out the fact that there are concerns within these assisted living centers. Uh, you know, what, what, has, has COVID-19 made anything in particular um, up here more uh, worse off, I guess, than maybe people yeah. originally thought. Yeah, I, I think that the, the key, the key um, message that's coming out is that the employees are having to work at multiple sites in order to make a living. And because, especially in the private, they underpay because a lot of them are non-unionized. The people who are actually acquiring these jobs are people, mostly women, single women, or women from that have immigrated to the to uh, Canada, who are so appreciative of just having a job. Right. They don't want to say anything. And I cannot tell you, as a manager of one of the facilities, is that when I was interviewing, just to try to get someone for a bath team, because the the needs were there, is that these people were worth, this would have been their fourth or fifth job. Wow. And that they were going from job to job to job. So I think what what this pandemic has highlighted is how many, you know, we talk about there's a, there's a carry shortage, but it's really hard to evaluate when they're working four or five jobs. So if one person gets sick, that's five jobs now that have that one person not working for them. That's hard. And there's and they are moving, you know, unfortunately, that the, we've, we've seen the evidence that that's also how transmission can be done mm -hmm. as well. And, and I know that's something that uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix has talked about a lot throughout this whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic is the need to have single site plans as to get workers working at just one location because of the, the concerns around things like transmission. And uh, I, I know that they have taken steps here throughout this uh, last three months or so to try to address that. Um, haven't said for certain whether that's going to be a permanent fixture. But um, from what from your experience, I mean, you talk about hiring people to do some of these jobs and that's being their fourth or fifth position. Um do they need four to five jobs in order to make a living? That's kind of the issue, right? Is they need to have that amount of employment in order to actually earn a living wage. So if you have someone only working at a single site, is it realistic to expect them to accept that job, given the fact that if they can only work at a single site, they may not be able to make enough dollars to support themselves? Exactly. So then we have to be looking at the, the wage compensation and making it standardized, you know, and I think that's the other initiative that's coming even not only provincial, but at a national level is that this has been now, you know, the, that um, Pandora's box has been open on that issue, which is good. Um, and then having, you know, sick time and being able to have, you know, proper benefits. You know, just on a, a health human resource, you know, uh, component, we need to, to look at that, you know, entity. I think as far as, you know, being able to live on that income, I, I you know, for me personally watching, I think that when there's plentiful work, and that's what is that you tend to then start to think, you know, have ex more dollars. 
So I think it's having to bring back and also evaluate our own, you know, what is our true living expenses and what is our living needs, you know, versus because a lot of them that I was uh, interviewing, they have family back in, say, you know, another country in the Philippines that they were working and they were able to work so much because their family was back there and they were sending money back, which you have to then, you know, like, my goodness, you know, you're supporting a family, you're trying to support yourself and you're working like amount what about you personally you need downtime because you are going to get a burnout and that's that was where i was coming from i was imploring on that you need to have some some of your own time so it, it, it is complex yeah very complex and i mean we're talking about assisted living this is supposed to be sort of a nice uh, kind of mix i guess right when you're talking about the need to live as independently as possible we all want to live as independently as possible for our entire lives if we can and this is a way to sort of bridge that gap where maybe you need a little bit of care but hopefully not very much and you can still have that independence but if uh, if that starts to erode and you need more care and it falls on the people who are you know maybe not uh, in a position to offer the the services that you require they still try to do it and it burns them out and there are a number of other issues that are highlighted by this it's it's really sad and it's it's unfortunate because this is supposed to be a time you know in someone's life when they're in these homes that you know they have some dignity and, and it sounds like it often gets lost throughout this process which is a real shame um we've been talking here for upwards of 13 minutes and i think we could talk for another hour on this uh, is there anything else that you want to highlight though while i have you here um you know if is there anything that i missed that you think people should know about before i let you go no i i think you've touched on all of the the, the key points that um i this needs to be reviewed um, I think that it runs beautifully right along parallel with, with assisted or long-term care. The assisted living should be, you know, a package. It should be looked together because they actually integrate with each other. So I think you've done a great job, and, and that would just be my closing, you know, comments is that they need to be looked at both as a package. So thank you for the interview. Yeah, Anita, thank you so much for taking the time. I think this is an important issue and, and something that, like I said, has been really highlighted as a result of this pandemic, which is unfortunate, but uh, still important that uh, we take these opportunities to to do these reviews and, and try to make things better. So thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. No problem. Take care. That was the president of the Licensed Practical Nurses Association of BC, Anita Dixon. Yeah, and we're just talking about this uh, report that was released here today by the Canadian Centre of Policy Alternatives BC office, um, basically just raising concerns about an under-regulated, under-researched, and largely privatized assisted living sector here in BC. And COVID-19, of course, uh, as mentioned, has highlighted a number of the issues that come with, uh, you know, assisted care and, and assisted living. And, and in this particular case, you know, someone who is supposed to be in that sort of hybrid model where they can live independently for the most part, but need, maybe need a little bit of help doing certain things. But over time, of course, you know, there is that need to be reassessed to make sure that's still the proper situation for you. And sometimes, you know, there there is instances within this report where it talks about how people go to the hospital and maybe once they leave the hospital, really, they should not be sent back to an assisted living center, but that's where they live. So they get sent back there, even though that isn't necessarily the place where they belong anymore. And then it falls on the care workers to make sure they're picking up the slack and making sure that they're taking care of those people when, uh, you know, they shouldn't be as reliant upon those services, but they have to give them when they're in that home. So a lot of issues that, of course, are coming out as a result uh, uh, of these kinds of scenarios. Now, 
Well, the report, just before I wrap things up here on this, it does name a couple of recommendations that the province could do, a couple of steps they could take to sort of rectify the situation. Uh, one, immediately enhance the capacity of assisted living registry to enforce the Community Care and Assisted Living Act. Of course, that makes a whole lot of sense. Number two, support a review of seniors' assisted living residences conducted by the BC Senior Advocate with support from a multi-stakeholder advisory committee. Number three, establish an expert panel, both academically and uh, practice leaders in relation to care to help shift assisted living from a philosophy of living to a philosophy of relational care. Uh, and there's a fourth one here to address existing and future needs of the assisted living workforce, which of course is probably the major point of all of this.